The next patient I discussed with Dr. Vogel was another nurse, a 40-year-old mother of a teenage son who unfortunately, after receiving adjuvant chemotherapy, developed metastatic disease. The patient received chemotherapy, in this case capecitabine, as part of a clinical trial, the so-called Ribbon 1 study, in which patients received first-line chemotherapy for metastatic disease with or without the anti-VEGF agent Bevacizumab. The Ribbon 1 trial was a trial that gave the physician a choice of chemotherapeutic agents. I mean, you could use an anthracycline, you could use a taxane as long as it wasn't paclitaxel. You could use nabpaclitaxel, you could use docetaxel. Or the third choice was to use capecitabine. So because of my philosophy of care, I always try the least toxic chemotherapeutic agent first. And then the idea is that it would be randomized to either get a placebo or the anti-VEGF agent bevacizumab. Correct. It was a two-to-one randomization. So you had two out of three chances of getting bevacizumab in this randomization. And it was a well-received trial because the patients knew that at the time of disease progression, they would automatically be given bevacizumab as part of continuing therapy if their disease happened to progress on first line. So we had had some data, which you can review, on the issue of bevacizumab and metastatic breast cancer, but this was a trial to sort of further refine what the impact might be with different chemotherapies. Right. At the time that this protocol was designed, we had no information about any other agents with bevacizumab, and so they wanted to get information with the anthracyclines, with other taxanes, and with capecitabine. So before you explain what happened to her once you started her on the Ribbon 1 trial, can you sort of backtrack what we know about bevacizumab right now in terms of metastatic breast cancer? Of course, it was just approved by the FDA for breast cancer. It previously had been approved for colon cancer and lung cancer. What do we know about bevacizumab? How does it work, and what kind of impact does it have? Well, bevacizumab probably has a number of different mechanisms of action. The major one, of course, is that it is a monoclonal antibody that is targeted against VEGF, vascular endothelial growth factor, which is a substance, it's a ligand or ligand that hooks up with receptors on the cell surface and leads to the development of neovasculature so that metastatic deposits will be able to be nourished because you need blood vessels to bring food to tumors in its simplistic terms. There are other mechanisms that have been postulated that seem to indicate that bevacizumab can increase the penetration into these blood vessels. And the major trial that caused so much consternation among the advisors to the FDA, an ECOG trial, randomized between paclitaxel plus bevacizumab versus paclitaxel alone. And in that trial, the response rate was almost double, and the time to progression was about double. But the problem with the trial was that there was no overall survival advantage. And That led to a lot of consternation among the advisors to ODAC so that there was a split vote 
that went to the FDA, yet the FDA elected to approve the drug. And I think it's a wise decision. I think this is a very active drug. And I guess, you know, you've been doing clinical trials in metastatic breast cancer for a long time now, but it seems like it's getting more and more difficult to even see a survival advantage in metastatic breast cancer. So many things happen down the line after they go into trial that could affect their survival. Yeah, I mean, perfect case in point, I have a lady now on her 22nd different systemic maneuver over 12 years. And this lady has never been in the hospital for breast cancer-related problems. She and her husband just bought a new boat. They go to Bimini and they fish. And her quality of life has not been significantly impacted over the past 12 years by her breast cancer, which is in the bone, liver, and lung, nor by the various treatments that we've given her. On the other hand, you know, if a patient who has that kind of long-term history somewhere along the line receives a treatment that ends up prolonging the time before she'll have to get another treatment, that might be something very useful if there's not that much toxicity, and yet you might not see it because she's going to get treated with something down the line that will affect her survival. So, yeah, it was interesting that they went ahead and did approve it based on the advantages that they've seen. Any sort of gut feeling yourself in your own practice about what adding bevacizumab to chemotherapy is really providing to women with metastatic breast cancer? What I've seen basically is that certainly with my chosen combination, which has been abraxane and bevacizumab, most of my patients have responded beautifully. What seems to happen is most of them have not failed on that regimen, but they get worn out. And that's what happened to Maria. And she just got tired. Her renal obstruction cleared. She had a big ovarian mass that was obstructing. Her pleural effusion came under nice control. She works full time. She doesn't have that much in the way of pain. But after six months on Braxane plus Bevacizumab, we said, okay, you need a break. Now, what about Bevacizumab itself? How much does it add or what does it add in terms of side effects and toxicity to chemotherapy? I haven't seen much in the way of side effects, although most recently we did have one woman who developed the severe central nervous system complication. I believe it's a black box warning that's an encephalopathy. So she had some neurologic symptoms? She had neurologic symptoms that we couldn't explain. We thought that she might have carcinomatous meningitis. Now, was her blood pressure up? It wasn't significantly up. She did have some degree of hypertension, as I recall. And, of course, that is one of the things that you can see with bevacizumab. Correct. I guess what I've been hearing and what I see in the literature is that that usually is fairly easy to control. You don't see many patients having really serious problems. Is that your experience? Yeah, we've been able to control the hypertension in the three or four patients that have developed this as a significant issue. Any other problems with bevacizumab or contraindications to using it in metastatic breast cancer? Well, you have to be cautious with regards to surgical procedures. Right. We try to avoid even giving bevacizumab within a week after port placement. Have you had any problems with ports and bevacizumab? Because I hadn't heard about it, and then I heard about a couple cases. Of course, I don't know if that's related. Any wound healing problems with ports? No. But you give them a week, make sure they're off for a week before they get the board in, or they don't get started for a week? 
Yeah, we got in the habit of doing that. It was part of the Ribbon One trial, and we just carried through with that precaution. And of course, I guess if they're going to have a major surgical procedure, you're going to think more about six weeks? That would be about right. If for some reason there's some intercurrent problem, I would take them off the bevacizumab. Now, another thing that people have heard about in other tumors has been lung hemorrhage and lung cancer and bowel perforation, mainly in colon cancer and ovarian cancer. Do you see those problems in breast cancer? I haven't. I don't think it's been reported either that I know of. I guess I want to get back to this case, but just one more question about bevacizumab, which is it looks like now, the way things go in general, this is often the case. There's a lot of interest in looking at bevacizumab in the adjuvant setting, both in patients with HER2 negative as well as HER2 positive disease. What do you think about that strategy? Well, we're very interested in the strategy, and we're participating in one trial in the adjuvant setting, the BETH trial, right, which that's is HER2 positive. HER2 positive, where it's bevacizumab or not in patients receiving docetaxel, carboplatin, and Herceptin. So you start out with the TCH regimen that we know has caused benefit and look at the question of does adding BEV to that improve it? Yes, we're hoping that it's going to improve it, and we're also hoping that it's not going to add more cardiac problems because if you develop hypertension and put added stress on the heart, then the low cardiac toxicity rate that you see with TCH might actually start to become more problematic. What's your approach? There's been a lot of controversy about that in terms of do you use an anthracycline-containing chemotherapy regimen with the trastuzumab up front or not? specifically the TCH regimen that you just mentioned. What are your thoughts about cardiac risk with both of those approaches? Well, I really don't use anthracyclines in the hair to new positive population. I'm convinced that TCH is probably just as good. It would take an absolutely mammoth trial to tease out the difference between AC followed by TH versus TCH based on TOPO2 amplification. So that trial, I don't think, can ever be done. If a patient asks you, you know, let's say a patient without any kind of heart disease, healthy patient in their 50s and 60s, let's say, what's the excess risk or what's the risk of a cardiac problem if I take something like TCH without an anthracycline and trastuzumab? How do you answer Well, I would just use the data that was presented, and I think that the congestive heart failure rate was, I think, 0.4% with TCH, and it was like 1.2% with AC followed by docetaxel and trastuzumab. But even more troubling is what we don't know, and that is there is an even greater number of patients who have significant reductions in left ventricular ejection fraction on the anthracycline-based regimen compared with TCH, and we don't know what's going to happen with those patients over time. Let's get back to this patient. We kind of got off on a tangent. We didn't really go through what happened to her when she got the on ribbon one, capecitabine, avastin. Can you kind of start at that point and bring us up? Well, she didn't respond to capecitabine and avastin. We kept her on for a period of four months So she made it through the first evaluation, but at the second evaluation, we felt she had progressive disease. The problem with all of these protocols is that when a patient goes on a capecitabine protocol, the FDA mandates that you use 
higher doses than we would ordinarily use. So I just caution my patients, as soon as they get side effects that are troubling, to stop the drug and to call me. And then we rapidly move to dose de-escalate to something that we think is still efficacious, but would be better tolerated. So she did not respond to capecitabine, and do you know whether it was the placebo or bevacizumab that she... No. So it was a blinded study. So It's she... a blinded study. They allow you to move on to bevacizumab regardless. So... But you don't know whether she got bevacizumab? No, I do not. So she progressed at that point after she progressed on the capecitabine bevacizumab, was her general physical condition... It was not good. She had extreme fatigue. She had shortness of breath. Her appetite wasn't that great. She was having more difficulty working. So we moved her to the open label part of the protocol, and she received bevacizumab and abraxane and did very well. Symptomatically, everything improved. Objectively, her tumors regressed. How did you see her respond at a human level as she was responding now. It was wonderful. I mean, here's this young, vibrant woman who was obviously failing on her previous chemotherapy regimen, and for her to get a response was very gratifying for us. Did you ever have any discussions with her about her children? No. How did she do on the NAB with the bevacizumab? Any hypertension or problems? No, she didn't have hypertension. She had some degree of neuropathy, but the biggest thing was just fatigue and just wearing out over time, and she also had problems with her counts. But the major thing was that even though she was responding, we just felt that she needed a chemotherapy break. So what did you do? We continued the Avastin. We put her on Femara. We didn't know whether she was still premenopausal. We put her on Zolodex. Just to be sure, because you can't give an AI to a premenopausal woman. Correct. And when we found out that her estradiol was four, we decided that it was okay to drop the Zolodex, and we continued her on Femara plus Avastin, but then she developed liver function problems secondary to the Femara. Those improved when she got off the Femara, Then we put her on exemestane plus Avastin, and then she had severe arthralgias and myalgias, so we couldn't keep her on that. When you heard about those arthralgias, were you concerned it might have been metastatic disease? No, it sounded pretty typical for what we see with the aromatase inhibitors, and I'm sure that, you know, we evaluated her bones. We took her off that, and we put her on anastrozole, and she had severe arthralgias with that. And finally, we put her on Fastlidex, on which she remains, and she seems to be doing much better now. So she's on Fulvestrin and Bevacizumab? Yes. Interesting combination. It is, but we have the ability on the protocol to continue the Bevacizumab as long as she does not develop disease progression. And this is now becoming a cause celeb because the feeling in other disease entities and even in breast cancer, about the use of bevacizumab beyond progression. So now we're going to get into that issue, which is the one that we have struggled with for so long with trastuzumab. Although it's interesting because, you know, people do have a lot of feelings about these questions of keeping biologics going long term. 
yet when you look at the patients, the patients are doing well. I think a lot of it's the financial issue. It is. There's definitely a major financial impact. But I mean, in terms of quality of life for the patients, I mean, for example, this woman's been on bevacizumab for how long? She went on December of 06, so she's been on about, about a, a year and a, a half. About a year and a half. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, her tumor is sitting there, too, as a threat to her. But what's your take on what the impact of this drug's been on her over the last year and a half? I think it probably has been beneficial for her. There's no way to know from an individual patient. Um, but I mean, from a side effects point of view. From side effect point of view, I don't think it's added anything in terms of side effects.